0: Okay, so we are now in week two of our journey to the cross. So last week we looked at the coming of the King, and I asked you to consider what it might be in your life that you may need to lay down for the coming of the King. And this week we're going to look at the glory of the cross A title which could be a bit of a juxtaposition, really, with some very contrasting ideas in there. I don't think death on a cross is naturally glorious. I would have thought death on a cross is supposed to be shameful and torturous and humiliating, not glorious. But we're not talking about the humiliation of the cross today. That's next week's topic. So I better keep those ideas to myself. And today, we will focus on the glorious side of things. So we're going to read from John 12 today, if you would like to turn there with me now. And we're going to have a look at what Jesus has to say about his time coming for him to enter into glory. So we're starting at verse 23. It says, Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. And anyone who wants to serve me must follow me, because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honour anyone who serves me." Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice spoke from heaven, saying, I have already brought glory to my name, and I will do so again. When the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder, whilst others declared it was an angel that had spoken to them. Then Jesus told them, The voice was for your benefit, not mine. The time for judging this world has come, when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. As we recognised last week, the journey to the cross is not a journey that can be summed up in just the literal steps that Jesus walked towards the cross. The journey to the cross is a whole lot broader than that. It has a whole lot more detail to it than that. The journey to the cross, it began at the beginning. And the journey to the cross for us today, it still continues as we find ourselves again and again coming to the feet of Jesus. And so when Jesus says, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory... The time he's speaking of is not quite literally like in that moment. It's more like he's announcing it has come, but it's not happening just yet kind of thing. It's like he's announcing it's the beginning of the end, but there's still some more to come. The journey is happening to now. He will be entering into glory henceforth, but there's still a process to go through before he gets there. And I just wonder what the disciples thought of this quite bold announcement. Jesus had never told his followers exactly what the hour would entail. But a couple of times in the Gospel of John, the author mentions it, and his mentioning of it has always been a little bit ominous. Ominous. Both of the times John mentions it, Jesus is about to be pounced on or seized by Roman officials, but he always writes, They did not seize him. They did not arrest him because his hour had not yet come. So, for the disciples hearing Jesus' announcement that day, where he tells them, My hour is upon us, what do you think they make of it? Do you think they would rejoice? maybe in ignorance, not really knowing what the hour means, and so they just celebrate there's going to be coming glorification? Or would their feeling have been foreboding, knowing that the hour could actually be something as torturous as what it was? And in that case, would they wonder why Jesus is talking about it being glorious in the same sentence? Surely the hour and the glory can't coexist at the same time. And Jesus, he's really good at this, really good at preempting what the crowds are thinking. And without skipping a beat, he follows straight into this little parable, which should hopefully clear up their questions. He says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Now I must be honest, when I read that the first time, I was like, what the hang is he talking about? So I had to go through it bit by bit, which I'll do now to make it make sense to me. So this is the truth, Jesus says. The kernel of wheat, also known as a seed, is what a wheat plant grows from. And so in order for a wheat plant to grow from a seed, the seed itself, in its form as a seed, must die. Because when a seed grows into a plant, the seed is transformed and it's no longer a seed anymore, hence why the seed has to die. So if the seed is never planted, it just forever remains alive as a seed, but it's not really good for anything. But if a seed dies by being planted, if this end of the seed's life as a seed is in it falling to the ground in order to sprout up as a new plant, then that's great because that is the seed living its best life. That's the seed being of good use and fulfilling its purpose. That's the seed or the kernel producing many more kernels, producing a plentiful harvest of new seeds, new lives, that will each in turn have their chance to do just the same. Jesus is also helpful because he follows the parable up with a brief explanation. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. If you, the seed, are very happy being a seed and don't want to stop being a seed, then, well, your life will end. You will remain a lone seed, unfulfilled and unfulfilling, But if you, the seed, are eager to give all that you can to see new life born, even if it means giving up all of yourself, well then, that's actually the path to eternal life. You see, Jesus is saying here, the bad can exist with the good. The torture, the death, can exist with the exalting. And his hour can exist with his glory. But he goes on, anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. But, Jesus is saying, if you're serious about walking with me, if you're serious about serving me, then you're going to have to follow me. And that means you're going to have to go where I go no matter what. You can't just follow me where it's easy. You can't just follow me as far as you'd like and be satisfied with that. If you want to follow me, if you want to serve me, you must follow me all the way. No restrictions, no limits, just all in, all the way. And if you do, if you follow me all in, all the way, the Father will honor you. Your obedience and your commitment will be recognized by your Father in heaven. He will prepare a place for you. As an aside, could we turn on the air conditioning? It's very warm. (laughs) Just I think just press play and it should be good to go. Great, thank you. Oh gosh. The size of the task that Jesus is laying down for those listening that day, it didn't elude him. Jesus was well aware of what was to come. He was the one who knew what his hour would entail. And so he entertained the concerns of his mind for the sake of the crowd with this little exchange he had with himself. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. Jesus, as the Son of Man that he declared himself to be, sums up here some very human thoughts. His soul is troubled. Does he really want to walk that journey to the cross? Does he really want to bear that burden? Should he pray and ask his heavenly father to save him, to spare him from what is to come? But Jesus writes himself quickly and not wanting to be the leader as a seed that isn't sown, he declares, but this is the very reason that I came. Father, use me, bring glory to your name. And at Jesus' declaration, God speaks from heaven, saying, I've already brought glory to my name, and I will do so again. God's going to do what God's going to do. He's not going to stop his relentless pursuit to draw his people back to himself Upon hearing God's voice, the crowd, some think it's thunder and others think it's an angel. But Jesus points out to them, that voice, it was for your benefit, not mine. And then he follows up with this statement, giving those listening maybe some more clues as to what his hour would include. The time for judging this world has come. When Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. The time has come. The hour has come, and that hour is when the world will be judged. Sin will be shown for what sin is. It'll be thrust into the light, and its filth, it'll be exposed. But the hour that has come is also the hour where justice will reign. Satan, the ruler of this world, will be called out. His deceit his darkness, his destruction, his feeding of sin will be thrust into the light. And justice will be done, I found. And as justice reigns, the Son of Man will be glorified. The light defeating darkness. The life defeating death. The ruler Of heaven calls back his people in the world. And as Jesus says in verse 32, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Like I said, God's going to do what God's going to do, and he will not stop his relentless pursuit to call back those that he loves. And this is Jesus' role in the hour that he will be lifted up from the earth, that he will draw everyone to himself. And in verse 33 it says he said this to indicate how he was going to die. Jesus' role in the hour is a big one. It's a showstopper. This final verse makes us think, gosh, no wonder he was wanting to ask God to take this from him. Jesus has to play the role of the exposer, the one who brings light to all that will be judged. All the sin and all the filth, Jesus will see it and bear it. But Jesus also gets to play the role of the justice bringer, the one who will call out the deceit, call out the darkness, call out the destruction of Satan, the ruler of this world, and cast him out. And Jesus will be the one who is glorified. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the ruler of heaven, calling God's people back to himself, being lifted up and drawing them to himself. It's a big role. But the one who was born to do it was Jesus. Jesus. Jesus connects himself back to the parable that he told earlier about the kernel of wheat which dies when it falls to the ground and is planted. But unlike the seed dying by falling to the ground, Jesus' death will come as he is lifted up from the earth. And this is the first really explicit nod to how Jesus would die towards his crucifixion that it will come. But like the seed that dies in the ground and produces a good crop, Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus' lifting up, will raise others up as he draws everyone to himself. You see, the bad can exist with the good. The torture, the death, can exist with the exalting. Jesus' hour can exist with Jesus' glory. The thing about glory and the reason why it can coexist and come out of something as gruesome as the cross is that glory isn't an attribute of God in itself. Glory isn't a characteristic of God. Rather, glory comes from the magnification of the things that are characteristics of God. Glory comes from the magnification of who God is, glory comes from the magnification of the justice of God, the magnification of the love of God, the power of God, the wisdom of God, the compassion of God. At the cross, we see God's justice magnified through the judgment of sin and the redemption from sin. At the cross, our sins are made glaringly obvious At the cross, we certainly are not white as snow, but at the cross, it is not us who bears our sin and our shame. It is Jesus. At the cross, we are washed clean in Jesus' blood. The justice of God is magnified in his Son, who paid the ultimate price. At the cross, we see God's love magnified through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. At the cross, God's one and only son was sentenced to death, to die a criminal's death which he had not earned and didn't deserve. At the cross, God says to us, I love you this much as he allows his only son to die in our place so that we would never have to. The love of God is magnified in his son, who paid the ultimate price. At the cross, we see God's power magnified through his defeat of death. At the cross, a device which Roman officials used for torture and killing, God used to enthrone his son for eternity. At the cross, we see Jesus high and lifted up, sitting at the right hand of the Father because it is finished. Death has been defeated and heaven now holds the victory. The power of God is magnified in his Son who paid the ultimate price. At the cross, we see God's wisdom magnified through the way of the cross. At the cross, onlookers stood and mocked and spat and jeered, laughing at the foolishness of the man who hung there and those around him who believed the sign that hung above him, saying, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. At the cross, God chose that way, God chose that the humiliated and the shamed would be lifted up, that the world's idea of what is kingly and what is worthy would be torn apart. The wisdom of God is magnified in his son who paid the ultimate price. And at the cross we see God's compassion magnified through the 2,000-year journey that it took to get there. At the cross, we can't forget the history that it stands on. At the cross, we look back and we see the many, many times that God's people walked away from him, betrayed him, disobeyed him. But at the cross, we also look back and we see how we got here. The many, many times that God called his people by their names, lifted them from the dirt, and drew them into himself. And at the cross, he said he would never let them go. The compassion of God is magnified in his son who paid the ultimate price. At the cross, we see God magnified as his one and only Son pays the ultimate price in our place. And that is the glory of the cross. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you did what we would consider unthinkable and impossible. Jesus, you bore it all. You wore our sin, you wore our shame for all humanity out of all, throughout all eternity. You wore it all, Jesus. So when we come to your cross, Jesus, as we bring ourselves to your feet before you, we just thank you that you have washed us clean. We thank you for the incredible gift that you've given us, and we ask, Jesus, that you would help us to magnify God in our own lives to magnify the justice, the love, the wisdom, the power, the compassion in our own lives. But we thank you, Jesus, for all that you gave for us, that you were willing to give it all for us so that we may live. Amen. We gathered here today fairly freely, considering that most of the world and a lot of our country are unable to do that. And that's only the reach of this pandemic. That's beside every other hard thing, every other pain and suffering that exists and that's occurring around us today. Hardship and suffering and pain, it's, it's inevitable and it's unavoidable. And we often ask, how can goodness come through this, something that is this tough? How can God's glory shine through something as horrific as the cross? It's like things being at the same time hot and cold or wet and dry. It just doesn't seem to add up. But the journey to the cross paints a picture of a different path. A countercultural path, a path where, yes, glory and suffering, they can coexist and they can magnify each other. The journey to the cross shows us that this path is the way of the cross, where Jesus is exalted in his death and draws everyone to himself. So, how do we respond to this? This is what Jesus said. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it, but those who care nothing for their their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me, because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honour anyone who serves me. If you're serious about wanting to follow Jesus, if you're serious about wanting to walk in His way, in the way of the cross, you have to be prepared to go all the way. You have to be ready to follow Jesus all the way to the cross. And no, this certainly isn't a light task or an easy journey. But it's a journey in which you'll see God's justice, love, power, wisdom, and compassion magnified in and through your life. How are you going on your journey? Maybe you're stuck somewhere along the way. Maybe you haven't even begun yet, or maybe there's an obstacle you keep coming up against. We're going to take a few minutes now just while the band plays quietly to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what is it that might be catching you out? What is it that's preventing you from continuing on from moving forward? If you feel comfortable, you might want to share that with the person next to you. You might want to pray for one another, for encouragement, for the Holy Spirit's empowering. As always, you're always welcome to come up to the front and receive prayer or to talk with me or with an elder if you'd like to. But just take some time now. Consider where you're at. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you in your considerations, to guide you. And then ask for his strength. Ask for his empowering. Ask for prayer if you need it.